Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 31, the Bible says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Boy, well, that's a big verse. That's that says a lot. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, talking about armor and talking about protection, talking about strength. This is talking about military strength and the day that we're uh, talking about these verses being penned. Uh, military might was in soldiers, and if you were you had some great strength, then you had chariots or horses that would go into battle, which if you have uh, soldiers upon horses, you've got the advantage. And, and so it, it's talking about the greater firepower, the greater military might. But it says the horse is prepared against the day of battle, but you can't trust in that. You can't trust in the military. You can't trust in the, the armor that you have. You've got to trust in the Lord because safety is of the Lord. And it doesn't matter. It kind of reminds me of uh, Ahab that went into battle and he was going to disguise himself as a as a, uh, a foot soldier rather than the king because it was prophesied that he was going to be taken out, that God was going to allow him to die in battle. So he says, well, I'm just going to trick the Lord here or trick the, the enemy, and I'll dress just like he told Jehoshaphat. Now, you dress like a king, but I'm not. I'm going to just dress like a, a foot soldier. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or uh, uh, who is it, Jehoshaphat says, okay, sure, I'll do that, you know, and he's, he dresses like the king and, Anyway, so, and they were after the king once they found out he wasn't Ahab. Then they said, well, forget about him. Don't want him. And he was just in the crowd. And the Bible says, and there was a man that drew a bow at a venture. Meaning, he, he wasn't aiming at anything. He was, he was just shooting at the crowd. You know, and one last bow, he, one last uh, arrow. He drew a bow at a venture. It says, where this lands, I know not where, you know. And it said, and it caught Ahab between the joints of the harness. The joints of the harness is, is like the, this metal ring that these leather straps are hooked to. It's a round circle. It, it, it kind of looks like a, a target. <laughs> sure enough, it was on him. It's, folks, safety is of the Lord. The Lord knows. The Lord's going to be able to either protect and preserve or not. And we've got to understand that it's in his, it's in his hands. So we've got to keep the proper perspective of firepower. Just yesterday, we finally saw the retaliation of Iran, who shot the missiles into the sand around U.S. military bases in Iraq. And you know, sometimes I, you know, when it comes to political things, and when we talk about political things, I try to steer clear of that because everybody's got a different opinion and everybody's got a different position and whatever. And I understand that. And sometimes you can just get in the way of the gospel if you take a certain stand and you offend somebody that you don't need to, you can needlessly offend them and all of a sudden they're, you know, whatever. Um, tonight, all bets are off. <laughs> I'm just gonna say what I think. Now, sometimes when I open the word of God, I say, this is what the Bible says, then I'm gonna tell you that. This is thus saith the Lord. And then sometimes when I tell you, this is what I think about something, and this is what thus saith Rich Farinella, not the Lord. You know, this is my, my perspective, my opinion. This is my opinion, okay? I'm just going to give you my opinion. I'm going to just tell you where I stand on this and how I feel about this. 
I'm, I'm glad to be an American, and, and I'm proud in the right way, not in the wrong way, you know, having a, a false pride, you know, to vaunt oneself or a nation against the Lord. No, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm, I'm glad to have the military might behind this country that we do have. But nonetheless, I'm not, I'm not going to try to shield it tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you what I think and where the situation is. Um, we saw about the retaliation that uh, Iran um, uh, did ye uh, yesterday. Uh, Soleimani was provoking conflict in a myriad of different ways. If you've been following the world situation at all, and you know that um, he's been trying to hide behind third-party crazies who they provided arms to. They stir something up and say, go get them. They, they hate the United States. For 30 or 40 years, they've been chanting death to America. We are the great Satan, and this, this is you know, how they view us, and that's the way that they've been operating, not trying to shield it. Not trying to be quiet about it, not trying to, even when they get money from us, you know, in the ways that they have in the last uh, several years, they still, uh, you know, put it towards, you know, uh, terrorist activities. Anything to, to uh, destroy those around them, the Israelites, the United States, they're, they, they're, they, we are their, their dire enemy. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so uh, the, the man that was taken out, the, the leader, who was so revered in our media, you would think the guy was, was the greatest person, uh, you know, on the face of the earth. Uh, but, well, I could go ahead and agree that he was very smart, and that he was uh, a genius in, in, in military conflict and, and whatever. You know, it was very shrewd. The guy knew what he was doing, but uh, he was just kind of uplifted and like he was something that was really, really, you know, wonderful. And we, we did a disservice to the world to take him out. He, he needed to be taken out, and he was, thank the Lord. I'm, I'm not uh, shy to say that at all. Like I say, death to America was common fare for 30 or 40 years now in Iraq, uh, um, Iran against the United States. And I know there's, you know, you go way back, and there's this happened, and this happened, and, you know, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the McCoys and all. There's a, an offense and a, a greater retaliation and a greater retaliation and kind of escalates. I understand that. But in terrorist activities, when you're dealing with uh, players like this, you cannot appease. Appeasement does not work, and it has not worked. And these last uh, several years, when we had uh, our previous administration before this one, um, gave money to try to appease the Iranians going into some very weak and, and misguided uh, uh, contracts, um, the missile, um, well, what do we call that, the, the Iranian, Iranian defense, whatever that was, you know, where, where they, they went into, okay, we're going to uh, go into this pact. Oh, that they don't call it a pact. What is it called? Nuclear the, the nuclear deal, right. Um, and it would just kind of put things off until actually a couple more years when then they can be full full blown because they've prepared and did everything else that they, they needed to to prepare for a nuclear we weapon. It doesn't put us, it doesn't put the world any better in any better situation. But nonetheless, um, there's been this, there's been this, this push for appeasement um, in, among a certain 
uh, faction of those in the United States, and it's, it's no different. It is no different than what we have seen over the centuries, where nation against nation. You know who Neville Ch Chamberlain is? Never, Neville Chamberlain was a prime minister before Winston Churchill. And in 1938, Neville Chamberlain met with Hitler and Mussolini and some others, and, and they, were, they were really worried about the aggression that Hitler was taking. And, and uh, Neville, Neville Chamberlain was the epitome of appeasement. Let's just appease. Let's just kind of go along with. Let's just kind of, hey, don't, don't rock the boat. Don't, don't you know, whatever. And Neville Chamberlain uh, got Hitler to sign this pact with him that he would not invade Poland and that he would, you know, kind of, you know, uh, respect others and whatever. And, and England had, had uh, uh, devoted their support uh, to Poland. And so there were cer certain things that they were doing and, and getting into Czechoslovakia, different things. And uh, so he, he comes back with this pact, this signed paper of uh, uh, Adolf Hitler in his pocket. And he says, I have the, the, uh, uh, the solution with me. And he comes back and among cheers in the, uh, the English parliament. And there was others that, that saw Winston Churchill, by the way, was no fan of Neville Chamberlain's. He, he saw him as, uh, you know, matter of fact, he was on the cabinet after uh, uh, Winston Churchill was appointed. I didn't know all of these things. I was sort of reading into this and just recently and, and found out a lot, of, lot more about Chamberlain than I never knew. But, but he, he came back with this pact, and Hitler's friends said, uh, what are you doing signing that, you know, whatever, because they were, they were pushing for aggression. And Hitler told them, it's just a piece of paper means nothing. That is exactly what Germany thought of that. Not when I say Germany, I'm saying him, not, not the nation, but that's exactly what the aggressor, the murderer Hitler, thought of that. He came back with that in 1938 and, and said to uh, Parliament and to, uh, he went down to Downey Street on the second floor of, a, of the, the place where he would make speeches and he says, we have secured peace in our time. Among cheers, 1939, what a different story. That uh, Poland was invaded, and, and then you, you see the bloodshed of, of uh, the century. And, and that what, which happened. But, you know, folks, back then, Neville Chamberlain was the type, and with a great uh, faction of the, Eng of the English, but of the British, that were appeasement people. They, they were tr just trying to, hey, let's not, not rattle the cage. Let's go along with them. Let's, let's give them as much as we can. And we don't want war. We don't want peace at any cost. Peace at any cost. And appeasement does not work, folks. Appeasement has not worked. It has not worked with Iran. And as you can see, no matter how much cash or whatever we try to do, and, and it's not uh, taken, um, uh, done anything. And then we've seen... Uh, more and more in this last year of, of uh, acts of aggression of Iran, lately attacking the U.S. Embassy. It was going too far with American lives killed. And that's where our president stood up and said, nope, that's the line. And so then the attack where it was a, a specific, a, a surgical attack to take out their leader and the second guy in command there, uh, and that's what had taken place in this last uh, about four or five days ago, whenever that was. Ever since then, 
Ever since then, we've had nothing. You turn on TV, you, you heard nothing but, but tremendous lamentation from uh, the media and many politicians who say, what are you doing? We're starting World War III and you're wanting to do this and wanting to do that. And, but see, Iran, with all of its bluster, but they do have brains, leaders there, they needed to find a way out, a way out of, of this mess that they've gotten themselves into because they crossed the line, went too far, their, their, the top man, military man, was taken out, and with, with the, the, the power that the United States has, <laughs> I know they don't have, a, don't have a prayer, don't have a chance with the superpower of the country that they're, they're trifling with. And so in, in an attempt to save face, they've retaliated and made big deal in, in Iranian television and newscasting and everything else. This is what we've done to show them. And at first their reporting was there was you know, 21 Americans killed or whatever. Not, not a one American was killed. As a matter of fact, they let the Americans and the others know in the area, this is what we're going to do, stay away from these areas where, you know, we, we need to make a show is actually what they did, and, and they did. They saved face. And our president, who those who are against him would say, now look at he's going to do this, and he's very, showing very much restraint and not, not doing anything else in kind because there's an understanding this nation um, is, is dealing with all of the stuff that we're dealing with, that they're dealing with. Iran notified us as to what they were going to do and to take cover, actually. They didn't want any Americans to be harmed, for sure. <laughs> my my uh, uh, worry was if by mistake Ameri an American would have been killed, then what? But none were. So now that they could claim a big provocation and, and a big action against the United States while actually putting out much, but no... No real consequences. Folks, news outlets were wringing their hands and warning of major repercussions, and they're still doing it tonight after you get up done with a church and go and turn on just about any, any news outlet, and you'll have multitude of people saying, oh, no, what are we going to do? We're going into war because, oh, we got crazies that are operating things, and they're warning of major repercussions. Let me say something before I go on. Be cautious of news outlets that have no other purpose today than throwing mud at our elected president. Anything he does is going to be met with sharp criticism. If he cured cancer today, they would criticize why he didn't do it yesterday or something. I don't know. But that's the way it's been against our president. The point about this conflict here and, and the... the not stalemate, but, the, but the, the respect that we have earned is, it, is because the U.S. is the greatest fighting force in the world today. Iran wouldn't bode well in a conflict, and they know that. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. After all the negative news press and Iran's report of great provocation and news coverage of Iran's unrest and going as far as broad... Folks... Our news outlets have broadcast to the American public the murderer's funeral. 
over the last several days, shown how much of a, 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 an offense it's been to these people. Look at this guy's dead and all of these people crying. And, and you got to wonder, why? Why are they broadcasting this guy's funeral and trying to foment things? And then President Trump, he says yesterday, I'm going to be addressing this, but the first thing he said was, all is well. It's okay, all is well. No American lives are lost, and that he's going to be addressing the nation as he did this morning. And if you've heard that, it's excellent. It's wonderful. It's what needed to be said. He said, all is well to give assurance that we're well prepared for any and all aggressions. So you say, well, preacher, yeah, I know, this is church. What are we doing? Well, let me ask you the question. Is it okay for a nation to be well armed? Is it, is it right? Is it, is it morally unjust for there to exist a superpower? If it's in the hands of crazies, yeah, wow, that would, be, that would be something, but it's not. It's the United States of America. And I know it's at all how, how you're viewing um, you know, history or rewritten history, that we're nation building and we're, we're uh, uh, empire building. And that's not true, folks. That's just not true at all. Who was it that said the only, the only land that we have asked in World War II and other conflicts is land enough to bury our soldiers that fought for your freedom? So is it okay? Is it, is, what does, the, does the Bible say anything about being well protected or well armed? I thank God for the power that this nation possesses. For sure, we're, we've got to be careful not to place full trust in the arm of man. I mean, the Bible says that very clearly. We started off with, with Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is prepared against the day of, of battle, but safety is of the Lord. It doesn't matter how well armed you. You can be armed to the teeth, and still, if God wants you down, you're down. So it's, safety is of the Lord. Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 20, verse number 7. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, and some in Scud missiles, and some in <laughs> ballistic missiles, and you know you can go on and on. Some trust in chariots, and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He says, "Hey, our trust is in God." Psalm thirty-three, verse seventeen: "And horse is a vain thing for safety; neither shall he deliver by any of his great strength." Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our helper, help and our shield. Thank the Lord for that. Now, in light of that, keeping it in the right perspective, I just want to say I'm glad to be secure. I'm glad to be secure as a nation. I'm glad to be personally secure. It's somehow looked at like it's immoral for a nation to be strong or maybe unjust to have the upper hand when it when it comes to protection or firepower. You may have recently seen a video of the man who entered a Houston, Texas church who began shooting at church members. How many saw that? Let me see your hands. Goodness. That was, that was unnerving to see that. It's like here. Like if somebody were to were come up here. He came up on this side of the church. It was kind of a wider church than we have here. He came up on this side of the church and under his, his coat he had a uh, a, a long gun, some kind of a shotgun or a rifle, whatever that was. I don't know what it was, but 
was it a shotgun? And he, he takes it out and he, and he shoots and he killed somebody. And there was a man who was not on the security team, I don't think, it was just one of the men, or maybe he was, I don't know. But he was just a, a member of that church who was armed, who took him out. One shot to the head, gone. There was like five or six others with guns and you know, pointing to him. And, and it was like, wow, <laughs> he picked the wrong church to do that in, you know. But how many, how many would have been killed or maimed had there not been those who were able to take care of that? Wow. <clears throat> if that congregation hadn't been ready for that kind of a thing. Of course, there was a flurry of folks, if you follow that in the news and then the reaction to that everywhere, a flurry of folks who quickly brought up the fact that this is a miserable world in which firearms are needed to be in such innocent places as churches. Anyway, why do we need guns in churches? Well, they used it properly, didn't they? I mean, it's, it's a shame and we can all agree it's a terrible situation where we're in the nation where that kind of thing would even happen so let's disarm everybody right right let's this that's that's the the uh the uh reasoning we shouldn't have guns at all so let's disarm everybody of course law-abiding citizens will dutifully turn in their weapons and so will criminals. <laughs> I come from Chicago, which has some of the strictest gun prohibitions anywhere. Citizens cannot, they do not have the right in that city to bear arms. And, the, and Chicago has the highest of gun shooting and deaths in the country. What happened there? Can't the criminals read the signs? You know, no gun zones or whatever. Hey, why don't criminals abide by the gun laws that prohibit guns to local citizens? Okay, some a few hard truths, okay? I, you know what? I, I can I kind of sense tonight I have some on board and some that just, if looks could kill. <laughs> I don't pack when I, when I <laughs> preach, okay? So I'm a sitting duck here. Okay, you want to take me out? Then you can take me out. But, <laughs> but I want to I want to say a few hard truths here. We don't live in heaven. Criminals will be criminals. They will be breaking laws. Today, the one with the greatest firepower wins. We're going to investigate what the Bible says about that. Here's a man that that wrote this. I just want to read his his. Uh, uh, words about this. this is interesting. I read this some time ago. His name is Chuck Baldwin. He wrote, people who would deny citizens the right to arm themselves are either naively ignorant or deliberately duplicitous. As Robert, Robert Heinlein said, an armed society is a polite society. <laughs> Americans founding fathers agreed with Heinlein. Thomas, Thomas Jefferson said, no free man shall ever be debarred the use of arms. He also said laws that forbid the carrying of arms disarm only those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Such laws make things worse for the assaulted and better for the assailants. They serve rather to encourage than to prevent homicides. 
For an unarmed man may be attacked with greater confidence than an armed man. Samuel Adams said, The Constitution shall never be construed to authorize Congress to infringe the just liberty of the press or the rights of the conscience or to prevent the people of the United States who are peaceably or peaceable citizens from keeping their own arms. And by the way, each one of these, the forefathers and, and those that, that uh, designed our Constitution, they were not talking about hunting, folks. They were talking about personal protection against evil government. James Madison said, to preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of people always possess arms. Whoa, a fanatic there. <laughs> but that's what he said. By the way, did you know why that Japan, after they mutilated Pearl Harbor, didn't continue onto the West Coast? And that was, the, that was the thought. Matter of fact, that was the fear. In World War II, when, when we were attacked, uh, we were ready for an attack, but they decided not to. And the reason why they decided not to is because there were, there were, you know, 100 million people on that coast with arms. And they knew that it was not going to be a simple thing to try to, to uh, overcome a nation equipped to the teeth. Thomas Paine said, <clears throat> Arms discourage and keep the invader and the plunderer in awe and preserve order in the world as well as property. Horrid mischief would ensue, ensue were the law-abiding deprived of the use of them. George Washington called the private collection of arms the people, people's liberty teeth. America must always preserve the right to keep and bear arms. To do any less is to invite oppression and tyranny, not to mention acts of violence. Some years back, Alan Rice of the Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership wrote... Since 1900, at least seven major genocides have occurred, resulting in the murder of 50 to 60 million people. By the way, you would think that our kids in school would, would get these facts, because this is history. That's all. We're, we're talking about facts, history. 50 to 60 million people in the 1900s were murdered, systema systematically murdered. The Ottoman Turkey from 1915 to 1917, one to one and a half million Armenians were murdered. Soviet Union in, in three times, 1929 to 53, 20 million anti-communists and anti-Stalinists were murdered. In Nazi Germany and occupied Europe, 1933 to 45, 13 million Jews, gypsies, and anti-Nazis were murdered. China, 1945 to 52, in 57 to 60 and 66 to 1976, 20 million anti-communists were murdered. In Guatemala, 1961 to 81, there was over 100,000 Mayan Indians murdered. In Uganda, 1971 to 79, 300,000 Christians and political rivals of Idi Amin murdered. In Cambodia, 75 to 79, 1 million murdered. You heard of the killing fields. It's a gal that works in, in the Thai restaurant down here at the corner. She was in those killing fields, and she was one who, when they came through, they murdered her relatives, and she laid underneath the dead bodies until they left, and she escaped the country and tells, us, tell me, tells me about that. Rice continued to say, in all seven of the genocides summarized above, 
gun control laws were in force before the genocide occurred, in some cases, decades before. In five, of the in five of the seven genocides, the lethal law, the gun control was enforced before the genocide reg regime took power. Get rid of the guns, and then you have a people that are at your will. Rice also said gun control laws are usually enacted during a crisis or a perceived crisis. Then, he said, government officials, not hate groups or common criminals, government officials were responsible for these seven genocides. In most of these cases, the murder victim, victims outnumbered their murderers, yet, yet they were powerless to defend themselves because they were disarmed. Do the math yourself. Absent an armed citizen, 32 innocent people lost their lives at Virginia Tech, while the presence of one armed citizen resulted in two innocent deaths in Colorado Springs. Furthermore, the presence of over 200 million firearms in the possession of the American people had done more to keep America free than any other human element, bar none. What's, what's Jesus' position on gun control? I mean, it's a big topic nowadays. Say, Jesus has a position on gun control? Yeah, he does. Let me read it to you. All things being equal, Looking at Jesus' perspective on general self-protection in a wicked world, although the subject was not addressed specifically, we can gather divine policy by indirect references in passages like Luke chapter 11. Look at it with me, Luke 11, verse 21. Jesus said this. Now, he's teaching about something else. He's teaching about a spiritual truth here, but he's using human illustration. He says, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. All right, you got a home, you have, you know, a firearm or some protection there, and a criminal wants to break in with a, with a, a baseball bat, and you go, Ch -ch -ch, just try it. And he's running. He's, he's, yeah, right. When a, when a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him, you know what that is? That's greater firepower. Not a baseball bat against the shotgun but a machine gun against the show, whatever. You know, it's, it's greater firepower. He's stronger than the one that's trying to defend his own family, his own things. When a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Now, folks, this was part of a, a lesson that Jesus was talking about. To, he was referencing spiritual battles that he has with the devil. He did use the human object lesson to illustrate this point. By the way, Jesus is the stronger one, <laughs> and the devil is the one that gets whooped on, and that's what Jesus was saying there. But, but he, he did use the human illustration. What we can affirm about this conversation are these points. Possessions and, and safety or self-preservation are secured when the law-abiding citizen is stronger or has a greater lethal force than the criminal, right? Isn't that what he says? You know what? It doesn't matter which side of the, of the gun control debate you're on. You know, just, just look at what is stated here. Is that not true? You have to say, absolutely. That's what Jesus is saying. That the, that the one with the, the greater lethal force is the one that wins, whether it be the criminal or whether it be the one that's protecting. A criminal with greater strength, whether it's personal power or weapons or swords or guns, whatever it is, the one with greater strength can steal, hurt, kill, or do as he will to the weaker or unarmed citizen. 
Although wrong in the world in which we live before divine judgment, men have got to contend with the criminal. In a perfect utopia, we would all be able to lay down our weapons and all just get along. <laughs> you remember that? Can't we just all get along? Yeah, can't we? No, I guess not. Not, not in the wicked world in which we live. We're crazies around, but we're, we're not in heaven yet where the will of God is supreme. Here, the, the will of wicked men and Satan's influence must be grappled with. In Luke chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus said this, What king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000, that's his troops, to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? We're talking about matching up with the firepower, with the ability, with the strength. If you're less than a superpower, you're not going to fight that nation, are you? If you're greater, then you're not, you don't have to worry about that nation, do you? That's what, he, that's what he's saying there. You can see that a matching of force, actually a supremacy of force, is basic wisdom in living in a hostile world. Folks, we live in a hostile world. I'm sorry we do. Nobody wants that. I don't want that. You don't want that. But you know what? We do. That's where we live. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. Jesus is instructing his, his disciples when he sends them out. He says, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said nothing. He said unto them, but now he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath nor so, no sword... And by the way, that in, in Jesus' day, that was your personal firearm, right? I mean, that's as much as anybody had back then, as a sword. He's not talking about a pocket knife so you can carve an apple and eat it. He's talking about a sword, and that's for self-protection. He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Jesus said, buy a sword? Yeah, that's right, that's what he said. So today... Would he say, buy a gun? Yeah, I guess so, you know. For I say unto you that this that it is written must yet be accomplished in me. He, he was reckoned among the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. He says, that's good. And it's just for personal protection. He's not arming the military, is he? He's just saying to protect yourself this is what you need. He advocates being armed or being protected, doesn't he? Jesus didn't rebuke his followers for being armed. He, he didn't. Neither did he advocate that we're in a major physical battle. His, his purposes, his kingdom, he's not talking about overcoming by force, like, uh, you know, Muhammad or something, you know, uh, conquer by sword. No. The sufficiency of the two swords would support being armed for self-defense, not a military conquest. You know what, I've got to hurry here, so let me just skip through a few, a few things here. Peter, and in the passage where he drew his sword and cut off uh, Malchus, the high priest's ear off when they came for Jesus. You remember that story? He owned, Peter owned and carried a weapon. It was his sword, by the way. It didn't say he took the sword of the, of the guard of, of uh, Caiaphas. No, it was his, it says he took his sword and he cut off his ear. He didn't grab a sword from one of the soldiers. The backing down was specifically to allow God's plan of redemption to unfold when he said, Peter, put up your sword. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here because, and he had a purpose that was to submit to the persecution. <clears throat> 
Persecution for Christ is one thing of which physical force is not recommended to counter with. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 29, Unto him that smiteth thee in the one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not thy coat also. He says in verse 35, And your reward shall be great, and shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. In light of eternal rewards, he says, You serve me in this, for his purposes, for his kingdom. Self-defense is quite another issue. So, concerning superior firepower in a fallen world, just three points will be done. Number one, many do not respect God or law, whether it be civil law or God's laws. There are many that don't respect law. They don't respect authority. 1 Corinthians 15.34, this is what Paul said, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your, shame, to your shame. He's saying this, you're to witness, you're to show people about God, but there's some people who don't know about God. They don't want to know about God. They're outside of God's laws and outside of God's things. 1 Peter 3.1, Peter's uh, uh, addressing those who are married to unbelievers, and he says this, Likewise, your wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word... They may also, without the word, be won by the conversations of the wives. He says, there's some that say, I don't care about the word. I don't care what God says. Folks, there's a lot of people like that. A lot of people in this world that we live do not care about law, don't care about God, about God's laws. Many don't respect God or civil law. Number two, protection is also providence. What I mean by that, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8, the Bible says here, but if any provide n not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It says here that the head of the household, which is usually the, the man of the house, sometimes there's only one parent, but here in a, in a normal you know, uh, two-parent home, and, and the, the man is the provider, the protector, he's to put food on the table. And if you don't, you don't take care of your own, you're worse than an infidel. He's, don't try to be, you know, syrupy sweet about this thing and, and uh, claim something else. you got to provide for your own. If you're not, you're not a good pro, uh, uh, provider. You're not a good leader. If any provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel, the Bible says. Let me ask you something. Is safety not also what a householder must provide? Of course it is. Of course it is. If the man does not protect his own, th that God has given him charge to, to lead, then he's, hey, same thing is true. You're worse than an infidel. And let me say this before we quit. Swords will be beaten into plowshares in God's victorious world. Now, some of these scriptures that I'm going to read are, are from the millennial kingdom, but that's, that, is what, that is the ideal. That is what God's looking forward to. That is getting back to the garden. <laughs> but the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, Many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go... Go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords 
into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow, isn't that great? Looking forward to a world like that. But that's going to have to be a makeover that God himself does to this land, to this world. I mean, men have tried and failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. But we're talking about something that, that only God can do. And he can get it when, and you'd have to go through all the prophetic happenings and everything else. And Jesus Christ is the one that will be uh, recognized as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And yes, at that point, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares, spears, into pruning hooks. But folks, this is not the millennial kingdom yet. How do you know? Well, there the lion and the lamb live together. Isaiah 11, verse number 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suck, sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Where on earth do we see that today? <laughs> it, it ain't here, folks. Till we get there, Buy a sword. <laughs> he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. That's what Jesus said. Folks, we live in that kind of a world. And so it's, it's okay. It's okay. Thank God. Thank God for the United States of America, which has kept peace in so many ways over the globe because of a superior firepower. That's okay. Thank God. Pray for our country and pray that, that, that we would have an extended peace so that we can carry out God's will here in this place that's not heaven 